0: Welcome back to the Buckeye Breakdown podcast. As Buckeyes Now on Sports Illustrated gets ready for week 2, the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Oregon Ducks in perhaps the most meaningful game of the season. There are plenty of games that you could attribute the most meaningful game to, but I think this one might carry the most weight. It is certainly going to carry a ton of weight with a national audience. As the Buckeyes host a team that has championship aspirations in another Power 5 conference, this is their one and only shot with uh, two mid-major teams coming in. This is Ohio State's one and only chance to impress a national uh, audience of what it might do to teams outside Big Ten play. I'm Brendan Gulick with Brett Hiltbrand. We're glad to be with you again here this evening. And and if you're with us live, please uh, feel free to ask questions along the way. Tonight's podcast is certainly about diving into some of the uh, the big numbers for this week's game, and Brett and I will, uh, will certainly do that as we get ready for uh, this one against Oregon. Why don't we start? Maybe just your your thoughts off the top, Brett. I'm not sure we've had a chance to talk much about uh, just in general what you think about going into this game this week.
1: You know, I, I think um, you know this game looked uh, has is a non conference game that looked really good on the schedule. When it, you know when it came into being and it's one of the few ones uh, that I think held up and, and kind of lasted in between when they decided to schedule it and when they actually you know we actually got it going and, and, are, and are playing it. Uh, Wisconsin or uh, not Wisconsin, Washington and Michigan are playing uh, this weekend. and that was a game that when those two teams of programs scheduled it, they were both riding high and looking good and now not so much. And so you kind of wonder a little bit about how that matchup might look, you know, nationally as far as those two programs. This is not the case for this game. This is fantastic. It's uh, a team that's competing for a conference championship and and certainly thinks that if they do the job there, there's a chance at the college football playoff for them. And that's all you can ask for if you're an Ohio State fan and a non-conference opponent in one of the first three weeks of the uh, college football season.
0: Hey, frankly, you could say that about both Ohio State and Oregon. You know, if if you win this game, you move to two and zero because both teams won their opener, Um, and there's a lot of work to be done between you know Saturday and the finish line end of the regular season. But you know, a staple win over a a legitimate, you know, at the moment top twelve, maybe top ten program in the country uh, would carry a lot of weight. And um, you know, a, a win, no matter how you can get it, is important. And I think the Buckeyes have not lost sight of the fact that. Uh, this game is is incredibly important for their resume here as they try to accomplish their goals this season. Uh, Ryan Day has mentioned a couple times that you know the team is awfully excited they're finally going to be back in the horseshoe, the last game, uh, last home game in the fall of 2019 with fans. Of course, they played at home last year with basically nobody there. Uh, they they played in front of Penn State, and as the uh, the really exciting trailer today for Ohio State football that they put out on social media. Uh, As that trailer reminded us, it was 657 days ago that Ohio State hosted Penn State in that crazy game. Today is also, uh, again, I realize it's Thursday night, so it's not going to be the same anniversary of the game. But today, September 9th, is the four-year anniversary of the last time the Buckeyes lost a home game. Oklahoma beat the Buckeyes in, in the uh, 2017 season. Ohio State has not lost on their home turf since then. They've ripped off 23 consecutive wins at home. And uh, Joe Moorhead, who's the offensive coordinator now at Oregon, said this week publicly that Ohio Stadium is one of the toughest places he's ever coached. I'm sure a lot of visiting coaches would uh, would agree with that. And. Uh, I expect this to be a, a big home field advantage. I know the Buckeyes were disappointed, Brett, of not having the chance to go out to Oregon last year because of COVID, uh, but they are they are ready to go here this week.
1: A hundred percent, and I think Joe Moorhead is uh, one of the most dangerous offensive minds in all of college football. He's single-handedly responsible for what Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley did when he was the OC at Penn State led directly to him getting the head coaching job at Mississippi State where he deserved more of a shot than he got uh, and and never really had a chance to stack recruiting classes uh, before before getting bounced and I think him ending up at Oregon which uh, you know we all know uh, kind of the, the 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 caliber player they are they are capable of getting in Eugene uh, on offense especially makes him you know, kind of piloting that ship or piloting that that whole program a little bit on the offensive side of the football is scary, uh, and and certainly, um, you know, he's one of those guys that I think, in many ways, the personnel really doesn't matter a whole lot because you know the offense is going to be complicated pre snap. They're going to be uh, they're going to mix it up. There'll be misdirection. Uh, you have to mind your P's and Q's whenever you're going up against uh, a Joe Moorhead type offense. And I, 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 think too, for, for Oregon, who, you know, Ohio state, I think has more to lose per se than Oregon does in this game, uh, were they to suffer defeat. But I think that that's kind of the nature of, of the beast when you're, you know, a, a tier one program like Ohio state. But I think Oregon is one of those next step down type programs that if they are able to pull off a handful of wins like this matchup, then go on and maybe make the college football playoff, go on a run, stack a couple of recruiting classes as a direct result of that. And then all of a sudden things are looking up, uh, you know, and trending in a, in a, in a more kind of steep vertical direction than they have been plateauing per se over the last couple of seasons. Can't, can't wait, super fired up.
0: So, I, I mean, I think right now any college football fan objectively with what Alabama has done during the college football playoff, would have to say, you know, they are the measuring stick. Um, but Georgia and Ohio State and probably Oklahoma um, this year seem to be the, the three teams that are are maybe like that next tier. Um, and there's probably not a ton of separation between, if you want to call them tiers two and three, the way I, I'm envisioning this. But, you know, Clemson and Notre Dame and and, you know, maybe Oregon. Um, yep. This just may be. Uh, and man, I, I know it's kind of a huge leap. maybe Cincinnati. Um, there, there, are, there are some really, really good teams that are on the cusp of making a huge splash in college football. And I think Oregon is one of those teams. They've got every recruiting advantage in the world that you can think of um, in a part of the country that you know doesn't necessarily have the best talent, but perfect example. Ohio State superstar wide receiver and and essentially, you know, guaranteed NFL draft pick Chris Olave grew up on the West Coast and was very vocal with us this week and saying, you know, hey, that was my dream school. Like, I wanted to be a duck. They just didn't really want him until the Buckeyes offered him and then everybody started saying, wait, wait, come play for us. Uh, kind of a fun recruiting story. But um, there's a lot of guys around the country that love the flashiness, that love the the whole, you know, Nike thing that love all the uniforms. Um, playing in Eugene is really cool. It's a really fun environment for college football, and I'm not surprised that Oregon, even after Chip Kelly left and, uh, you know, he, he brought that program essentially to where it is now, um, not surprised at all. They've continued to be uh, a, a national
1: player. And they have a great recruiter as a head coach too, they do. Uh, Mario Cristobal, who I, I think uh, – you know, I don't think he has quite the same maybe X's and O's pedigree that Chip Kelly brought, um, you know, to the table. But I think he fills a little bit of the the void uh, in that recruiting sense. And I think in a lot of ways that maybe matters more uh, at Oregon uh, a little bit. And, you know, and everything with Nike and what, what that, you know, relationship with the athletic department, what, everything that, you know, that that does is such a leg up uh you know with if you compare it to say other athletic departments and specifically football programs kind of that are around its same kind of stature they they, it's it's out of this world uh as far as advantages are concerned so um you know I, i think we've we when we last jumped on the podcast you talked about how you really liked what you saw from Ucla and how with what you know chip Kelly will do there and what the potential is that maybe that's a sleeping giant I've really felt like Oregon is like one or two like like if Jake Ballard doesn't pull pull down a, a third down pass uh in a massive game back in I think it was 2010 they go on and they beat Ohio state and that launches them maybe into a different stratosphere. And we're talking about everything a little bit differently. The national championship game against Ohio state, uh, not too many years ago, a few things go a little bit differently there. And, and we're, we're referencing and talking about Oregon in, in a, in a different tone. Um, And so, you know, and I think that's the, that's maybe the fun part, the, the hypothetical part, the loud speculation part of college football that we love so much, but, uh you want to talk about a uh that a program that ha, is poised and has maybe one of the the highest floor and ceiling uh around. Certainly, I think on the West Coast outside of SC. I think it has to be Oregon.
0: Appreciate Rick checking in. Thanks, uh, thanks for the kind words there. I know you're a big Buckeye fan and uh appreciate your uh appreciate your support on that uh with a nice compliment. Uh all right, let's dive into some of these numbers. We've teased yeah. it, we said that's what we're gonna do, so so let's do it. Um First one right off the top, we knew last week that it was uh, an eye-popping number, but weren't able to confirm it and so didn't want to say it this way. Now we know for sure, Ohio State last week averaged 10.3 yards per play. That is an all-time school single-game record for the Ohio State Buckeyes. They only ran 48 plays last week on offense, and we referenced a bunch of times that you know, look, Minnesota controlled the clock. They ran 27 more plays. They they literally time of possession outpossessed the Buckeyes two to one, um, and yet uh, Ohio State outgained them. You know, obviously scored a defensive touchdown, so that helped with the final margin. But um, it just goes to show that even now, without Justin Fields, who I, I think it's fair to call him a generational type player, he's he's legit. One of the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history, for sure. I think he had the best single-game individual performance in Ohio State history when the Buckeyes beat Clemson in the Sugar Bowl. Um, Justin goes to the NFL. You play a quarterback who who hasn't played football in a game when it mattered in two years. And while the first half had a little clunkiness to it, the second half was home run after home run after home run. And, And that part of the offense is still very much at play here. Oregon's defense... Is probably going to be the fastest defense that Ohio State sees this year, but I still like Ohio State's offense to have a little bit of an edge in that regard. Ten point three yards per play, man, is is really really good. It blew my mind when I, I went back
1: and uh, you know looked at the box score and the fact that Ohio State only got the third down eight times in in that game, and they were four of eight uh, achieving first down. Uh, you know that fifty percent uh, percentage. Uh, conversion rate on third downs pretty darn good too. Anytime you're in and around 50, you're probably going to win football games. Uh, but the fact that you only get to third down eight times is, is outrageous, uh, and and shows uh, I think it I think it's indicative of a couple things. One, obviously the big play nature of of what we saw in the second half, and the fact that you know at, at times it felt like Ohio State scored at will uh, a little bit in those final two quarters. But also it speaks to the, the lack of negative plays, one, but also staying on script when it comes to play calling and personnel decisions. And so everything that they did as far as being efficient on first and second down really led to the fact that they never had to even use that third down more often than not. So I think that was especially important uh, in a game where you didn't have the football a whole lot, right? That like, if you're not going to get it, uh, a ton. If you're going to run significantly less snaps than the other team, you, you better be better be efficient in the ones that you do get. Um, but the the yards per play, we're we're never going to see something like that again. We're not going to see anything like that, really, even close to that number in a very long time. I I, I think, you know, the, the the game has changed, right? Like o- offensively, it's an offensive sport now more so than it's ever been. The rules favor, you know, offensive players. All of that, but the that number still, if it, it should jump out at you and hit you like a freight train, because it shows you one how good things were, and two, uh, if when you kind of keep that in mind with the maybe lagging kind of expectation that we had coming from Justin Fields to this new regime, new regime, and in many ways they were actually better. Uh, that that's mind-boggling and and something that maybe we didn't expect.
0: I think it's it's almost this perfect storm of you know you've still got big play, you know, explosive offense capability because you have so many of the same skill position players yeah. and the new guys that are here you know have all the the accolades in the world from their high school days and and you kind of heard time and time again, how good Travion Henderson is and how good Mayan Williams has looked in camp, et cetera. But I, I think it is also a product of the Buckeyes are going to have games where they have you know, huge chunk plays down the field, but because they only ran a limited number of offensive plays because their opponent controlled the ball and the time so much, it doesn't give you the additional time to have a five-yard run. Or an eight-yard run where that average is going to come down. So, man, I, I'm with you. Um, it would be really difficult for for the Buckeyes to, you know, probably do that again. But at the same time, I think that might be the formula for a lot of teams that want to play Ohio State. Try to control the clock as much as you can and and take shots down the field. This isn't like a you know, try to dink and dunk it and ham and egg your way up the field. Like, you know, the Buckeyes weakness is their secondary right now. So if you've got a good quarterback and you got to, you think you've got a chance to run with the Buckeyes, you better press the issue, right? Um, but I, I just think 10.3 yards per play, like so many things have to go right for that to happen, um, including the Buckeyes executing and hitting those big plays. Uh, but, I mean, look, man, we said it, you know, in our postgame show, the last three touchdowns for Ohio State were on drives that totaled six plays and totaled less than two minutes of, of actual execution time. Um, all of them were uh, 60 yards and, and longer. So, you know, I, I, I don't see something like that happening again. But I, I mean, I think it's fairly routine to expect Ohio State to be at seven, to eight yards per play. For sure. Six six touchdowns in that game. Five offensive ones. The
1: shortest touchdown scoring play: thirty-eight yard pass to Chris Olave. That's the shortest play.
0: Yeah, and it was an unbelievable uh, yards after the catch effort from Olave. Yeah, it, who I think had his best yards after catch performance of his career in that game on Thursday.
1: One of one of for sure, if not the best. And I think that especially the ability to navigate the sideline on that play, I think was special. Um, like we joked after in our podcast uh, reaction after we looked around and like why are these guys, both him and Garrett Wilson not playing in the NFL um <laughs> but I guess, really
0: glad you're back. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's good for
1: Buckeye fans um but yeah, it the efficiency numbers won't be anything like what we saw in this game and they probably won't be ever again. but um, it is not unreasonable. I think given, given this team's schedule, and I also think given maybe the nature of, let's say like what of the average big 10 defense that if you're up over se- seven, eight yards per play, that's probably what Ohio State's looking for and projecting.
0: Uh, let's flip to the other side of the ball. This is, uh, in my opinion, this is, this is really notable because when you looked at what Oregon did against Fresno state, it really felt like a pretty balanced rushing attack. Um, you know, they've got two different kinds of backs in C.J. Verdell and in Travis Dye, but both are equally effective. And Anthony Brown, their quarterback, uh, who is, you know, now full-fledged the guy um, after transferring in from Boston College where he had an injury. Uh, his his true freshman year, by the way, was 2016. Anthony Brown's been a part of college football for a while. Um played in the last two games of the year for Oregon last year, and now he's he's the guy trying to lead the Ducks offense. He can also run. So between C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye and Anthony Brown, who ran a 31-yard touchdown in last week, uh, there's some good balance. And Oregon's game notes had uh, an interesting note in here. The you know one-two punch, if you want to call it that, of, of Verdell and Dye actually, collectively, has the most combined rushing yards entering this season – of any uh, top two rushers for any team in the country in their careers. Burdell and Die entering this week have 4,501 career rushing yards uh, combined. So expect the Ducks to use them as often as they can. They also ran it uh, close to 50 times last week for more than 200 yards as a team. You, you, you're not going to beat the Buckeyes unless you can establish the run, at least in some capacity. So I would expect a heavy dose of Verdell and Die.
1: Yeah, PJ Fleck gave them the blueprint in a lot of ways to trying to try, trying to control the clock and and control the pace of the game. Certainly in that first half, I think uh, you would talk about w- watching tape and and being able to then you know kind of project and formulate a, a game plan from there uh, with with what a previous opponent was successful with. Man, that, that the world's most perfect game game film for them to be able to watch in, but also in the same fact that, you know, it's great for Kerry Combs, Al Washington and company to be able to look at that uh, from the defensive standpoint and being able to then, you know, make direct short-term memory kind of adjacent uh, changes with these guys uh, and, and with those players and being able to kind of tweak things here and there. Uh, Obviously the look will be different. Uh, Offensively, Oregon, I think will uh, will be a little bit more spread, uh, and then and then read option from there, and maybe a little bit of RPO RPO boots um, into uh, you know like, almost like borderline like wing T option kind of stuff. So uh, it'll be fun um, if you really want to do a deep dive here in the in the uh, days uh, in between now and in this game. I encourage you to go look at what Penn State's offense did. Uh, in 2016, with uh, the kind of emergence of Trace McSorley, a quarterback with pre with the Christian Hackenberg stuff kind of pushing that aside. And then this kid from the Philadelphia area there uh, that no one had really ever heard of who had quads the size of watermelons. And then all of a sudden, Saquon Barkley goes from this guy that everyone thought might be kind of good to, you know, a, a projected first round pick like that. Uh, and what that and how they were able to kind of hide him behind a, an average offensive line, Big Ten by Big Ten standard, standards, if not below average, um, and so it's uh, you know I, I I feel like I'm going to say this a billion times this season, but like tackling has to be at the forefront for this defense. Um, you the Joe Moorhead will make you win battles in space. And and more often than not, he's going to take his guys. I think he's going to feel like, it, it, you know, uh, a run one of his running backs in space against an Ohio State linebacker, he probably likes their chances. In space against Ohio State DB is really liking their chances. So you're going to have to be efficient in tackling in, in space. And even if it's like, you know, that whole swarm, if you've ever been to uh, Ohio State football, you heard guys swarm, swarm uh, that that's something that I think is going to be at the, at the forefront. If one guy gets it, you know, kind of hits and grabs on and then the rest go in and and help clean it up. But you have to be efficient. Tackling can be massive.
0: Especially Verdell. Um, I, I like die as a running back for sure. Um, I think he, he is more the two in that one, two punch, uh, Verdell's career numbers are extremely impressive. Yeah, uh, he is one of only two FBS uh, two FBS players that have at least 2,500 rushing yards and at least 500 receiving yards in his career. By the way, the other one, Oregon just played Fresno State running back Ronnie Rivers. Verdell has run for almost 2,600 yards in his career. He's got 538 receiving yards. But how about this from a Buckeyes perspective? You want to talk about? Two tough opponents to open the season. The only running back in college football with more active rushing yards from Power Five schools, other than Verdell, is the guy they saw last week in Mo Ibrahim, who's got three thousand and three career rushing yards. You know, about four hundred more so than uh, than Verdell does. So, two guys that have made a you know. I don't want to say made a living They're They technically are paid to play, but you understand the reference about how good they've been running the football, extremely efficient, extremely talented. Uh, and Ohio state certainly can't lose track of where Verdell is. Um, Anthony Brown, I think is a decent quarterback. I don't think he's, you know, I don't, I don't think he's going to be um, an enormous threat to overcome. Uh, I see, I see Michael Penix tight player in him i think Penix is a little bit better um but if if brown played in the big 10 with a talented team he'd win a lot of games i mean this is a, a good player and again he's a he's an older guy because he's playing in his sixth season or he's, he's at least been around uh, with a college program now in his sixth season dating back to 2016 when he took a red shirt at boston college the good news is the buckeyes know him kind of well because Ryan Day said today, hey, when I was at Boston College, actually, I, I kind of helped recruit him. Um, he's uh, Brown went to uh, high school in New Jersey, um, went up to Boston College, and then transferred all the way across the country. So, you know, he's he's a talented player, not somebody that the Buckeyes can take lightly. But um, I also don't expect him to be a, you know, uh, ripping the Ohio State secondary apart type player either. No, but, they, but he... They do
1: have to mind him in the read option game. I think if if you're focusing entirely on, uh, you know, really just crashing that that mesh point and trying to get to the running back, he'll pull it and pop right around. And definitely underrated. I think speed uh, we saw in Fresno in, in in their most you know their most recent game last week um, did okay at, at points trying to run it. Uh, a couple broken plays where he was forced to get out there uh, and make something happen. And uh, he has potential to run away from D lineman unquestionably. Uh, And and certainly, you know, at the very least match linebacker speed. Uh, So they're going to have to, they're going to have to keep an eye on him as well. Um, He isn't going to, you know, uh, spin it all over the yard and, and make DBs look silly by whipping it by ear holes. But I think high high percentage throws and uh, and then you know play action because you're successful with your 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 two really dynamic running backs. I think that's kind of the formula uh, that Oregon is looking for a little bit. But it's um, I think the the word I would use would be competent, right? Like calling him a game manager is entirely unfair. I think he's better than that, right? But like, is he? He's absolutely a competent college football quarterback, and that's a compliment. That's a good thing.
0: Totally agree. Uh, the next number, um, it's it's Oregon's defense, and perhaps has a little bit to do with uh, you know the the conference they play in. Maybe not being quite as offensively talented as some of the other leagues. Um, there seems to, to me there seems to be more disparity between the high end teams and the low end teams in the Pac twelve, um, where you know I, I think a middle of the road or a bottom of the pack Big Ten team would would most of the time have a, a competitive advantage against a middle of the road or bottom tier Pac twelve team. Um, but since 2018, Oregon's defense uh, has has been good in one sense in particular um Oregon as a team is averaging 8.37 points off turnovers per game. So essentially per game they're getting a touchdown based off of turnovers. That is second in the country over that time frame dating back to 2018 behind only Alabama ahead of Clemson, UCF and Ohio State. So they create turnovers and they're finding ways to score And, you know, we saw how uh, just last week how important it is if you get a defensive score, it is incredibly in your favor statistically, historically, that you're going to win the game.
1: Yeah, unquestionably. I think I would guess that the, you know, the overall percentages of of (laughs) – You know what your what your winning chances are. What your what your winning percentage is. If you score a defensive touchdown, it goes. It probably doubles.
0: I it's the, uh, the the NFL did a study. I believe it's eighty six percent of the time. I don't know exactly what it is in college, but in the NFL, if you have a defensive touchdown, you've an eighty six percent chance. Um, you are eighty six percent more likely yeah. to win the game.
1: Now, I, I will admit, I in, in watching this team last week. defensively, they are not nearly as good as they have been in seasons past. They they did turn over Fresno State three times, uh, but Fresno State actually outgained Oregon on offense uh, in this last game by maybe 20 to 25 yards. They threw it all over the yard against this secondary. And honestly, without kind of like a boneheaded play that led directly to a turnover, Oregon might have gotten beat last week. By by Fresno State, so I think you know there. You want to talk about you know kind of matchups and and you know advantage disadvantage. It is a there is a massive, absolutely massive advantage for Ohio State wide receivers against this DB group from Oregon. Um, they will need to be very complicated in the back end uh, to to be able to try and keep this game within reason. In my mind, I, I really was not impressed. And I think combine that or juxtapose that with what we saw Ohio state do last week, throwing the football, especially in the second half. And I think maybe, you know, Ohio state Ryan day kind of licking his chops a little bit thinking that there's, there's potential here, especially down the field against this team. But I, I, the, the turnover stuff is really surprising to me because you would think that you know that stat would lead directly toward, you know, significant on-field success. But I don't necessarily think we can, kind of, lay that at the feet of Oregon, right? I don't think I don't think there hasn't been a ton of that. Uh, you know, here's under- a, here's
0: a note that further punctuates that the, the Ducks have scored at least fourteen points off of turnovers twelve times during Mario Cristobal's tenure. Uh, and cashing in for at least 17 points off of uh three fresno state turnovers oregon is 11 and one under mario Cristobal when scoring at least 14 points off turnovers yeah um so that you know e- even if they're not causing a great number of turnovers um the average has been good because sometimes they'll have a game where they take it away two three times uh and capitalize on it some games where maybe they you know they don't they don't take it away at all
1: yeah, and, and and that makes me think too that like, you know that that makes me think maybe the average Pac-12 offense going up against this Oregon defense is just entirely outmatched, and and that there there's maybe a, a higher likelihood of being able to turn over, say, you know, in
0: Arizona State than than. I mean, Washington just lost to Montana. I mean, there's right, there's right. an element of we're not talking about necessarily the same caliber of offense that you'd see in the SEC or with right. I would think at least most Big 10 teams. But I
1: I, I also I'm a, I'm a big believer in that in the idea of like you know all you only need to put it together for one night in college football, right? And I think I think maybe the best example of that that we've seen in the last couple of years is Ohio State Virginia Tech back when when the Hokies beat Ohio State in the Shoe, right? Like for the most part they were not that good the rest of the year. Uh, but they, they made it happen. They created a couple turnovers and, and they kind of, you know, shocked everyone that night. And so I think, uh, you know, the, the formula is certainly there. And I think, you know, if, you know, I think if you're Mario Cristobal and the coaching staff, I think you're showing your guys throughout the entire week, the turnovers that they've made, uh, and, and the big, in the, in the, and certainly I think the game swinging momentum changing plays or the momentum continuing plays that they've made as a way of kind of re uh emphasizing some of the confidence that uh that you might have coming into this game, knowing that yes, the 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 quality of the opponent is ratcheting up a couple hundred degrees, but yet you have made plays in big moments. Uh and and certainly I think on the defensive side, while I think there is a sizable gap between Oregon's defense and Ohio State's offense, I think if you can try and fill that void with just like blind enthusiasm, that's what you got to do
0: couple more numbers for you. These are a little bit more uh, abstract and less specific to um, statistics. Um, first number is nine, Ohio State, nine wins and no losses all time against Oregon. Um, you referenced both of the games earlier that have come up with any any sort of recency. Obviously, the last time they played was a national championship game back in January of 2015 down in Arlington, Texas, the time before that. Uh, in the Rose Bowl in what was a, a competitive game. The Buckeyes won 26-17 uh, on January 1st, 2010. Prior to that, they hadn't played since 1987. The Buckeyes have only gone to Eugene once ever. They were supposed to go for the second time last year, and that meeting in Eugene was back in 1967 where the Buckeyes threw up a goose egg. 30 to nothing. they beat Oregon in that game, uh, and all-time, these two teams have played twice in Pasadena. So this is uh, upcoming now. This is Oregon's sixth trip to Ohio Stadium, 1961, 62, 68, 83, and 87, the years that uh, Oregon has come to Columbus. But the Buckeyes have been perfect against the Ducks. I mean, that's a good omen going into Saturday's game.
1: Yeah, and I think think you'd be crazy. I guarantee Ryan Day has showed – has shown Ohio State the national championship highlights from that game. I guarantee they've shown the Jake Ballard third down play at the Rose Bowl. I, I, I the, To just kind of reinforce that, like, hey, you know, Ohio State has had Oregon's number in the biggest moments, uh, and there's no reason to believe that you can't do it again. You have every reason to think that, you know, you are the pedigree and, and you get to drive the, you know, the entire kind of action – coming into this game.
0: All right. uh, How about the number six? And I'm going to tell you what six they are, and then you tell me what it is I'm talking about. Let's have a little game here. Uh, In 2019, this happened against Miami, Maryland, and Michigan in 2020 against Rutgers and Michigan State, and that happened last week for the sixth time. Uh, what, uh, What am I referencing? Any idea? Give it to me again. 2019 happened three times it happened against miami maryland and michigan in 2020 this happened against rutgers and michigan state and then happened in week one against minnesota for the sixth time any idea what those six times uh incorporated second half comeback i don't know no no uh Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson each scored a touchdown. Um, the Buckeyes are 6-0 and in games when both of those guys find the end zone. Um, I think that is an interesting stat because, you know, obviously we've, we've talked about and seen plenty of high-end, high-level talent and effort from those two guys. Um, I don't know how many of those six games included more than two touchdowns, although I bet a couple of them did. Last week it was three with Olave scoring twice, but, um, you know, to me, there's there's something to be said for when those two guys have big games. It tends to signify that the offense is clicking and it's it's hard to beat them. That was
1: all right. that I think was like one of the question marks we had coming into that. Right. Like, like we know these guys are good. Right. But like, how good can you be when it's not Justin Fields throwing this one? Right. Like how 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 good are you? with a new quarterback who has no real competitive experience. Well, as we saw in the second half, pretty bleeping good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh and everything we uh, we we've come to expect in many ways they met expectations, right? In the the highest of expectations, I think that we've had. They're special players and I think um you know and I, we I, we said this uh you know in some of the sna- in some of the um, podcast preseason Every snap where they do something, you in, in, your, in the back of your mind, if you're watching on TV or in person, it's just imagine a cash register opening and that cha-ching. That's that every <laughs> single time they make a play, they make a little bit more money,
0: putting days in the bank. Uh, in addition to what they might be doing with their draft yeah. stock, uh, Trello one chimes in and says, Ducks winning this. Look, Oregon's good enough to come in and beat Ohio State. I'm not sitting here saying, take it to the bank. The Bucks are going to walk away with a victory. But I will say this. Um, came across another really interesting number this week. When scoring at least 35 points in a game in the history of the program, the Buckeyes are 343-1-1. One and one. If Oregon can find a way to keep Ohio State under 35 points, statistically, they got a chance. Um, This offense has averaged more than 40 points a game for several years now, and I just think it's going to be very difficult for Oregon uh, to to keep the Buckeyes under 35. Possible, yeah, but pretty darn difficult.
1: I don't know how you come up with Ducks winning this when a week ago – Oregon's defense couldn't keep Fresno State under 373 yards of total offense. After watching what Ohio State did uh, in the the second half uh, last week, I think if you're watching Fresno State almost put up 400 yards of total offense, I I don't quite understand how you maybe go uh, from that performance to Ducks winning this. But I think you are right in general. The potential is there, right? I think, like I said earlier, you only have to put together for one night, and you only have to make a handful of plays to be able to swing uh, the emotion. Here's a hot take for you. Ohio Stadium, the horseshoe, is not a tremendous home field advantage in college football. It is a very casual atmosphere. Uh, It is not a raucous, you know, like false start the offense because it's so loud type crowd. That's just not how it is. It hasn't been that for a long time. You can you can silence that crowd with some plays. It doesn't happen very often, but it has.
0: Uh, But is it is it happening this weekend? Probably not. I uh, I think Oregon has some really really impressive talent. Uh, I like Johnny Johnson the third at wide receiver. I really like Verdell. I I think Travis Dye's a good player. I think Brown's a good player at quarterback. And they've got a pretty good offensive line, uh, and they're also pretty big. I think they average like 6'5", 320. Um, They're not ridiculously huge, but they're a big offensive line. Uh, I I expect Oregon to be able to move the football. If they can't, I would be surprised, Um, especially with some of the the defensive lapses Ohio State has had from time to time. I I guess I just sort of expect that Oregon is going to score something in the ballpark of Twenty-four to thirty points in this game. I haven't really nailed down a prediction, um, but I I have a hard time seeing the Buckeyes scoring fewer than five times. I I just I think Ohio State's offense is is going to be good enough to get it going. Uh, Kavon Thibodeau is dealing with a sprained ankle. He is still day to day. I'm sure he is going to play if at all possible. Uh, but if he is not a hundred percent, then he's not quite the same crazy threat that um you know that he, he can be and might be uh, a high NFL draft pick Noah Sewell is a legitimate linebacker I really like flow as a linebacker um you know the ducks secondary last week was down two players because of suspensions those guys are back this week so I think their secondary could be a little bit better um but we'll see I I I, I think Ohio State is probably gonna win this game without covering. I think the, the spread is about two touchdowns. Uh, I can certainly see the Buckeyes covering, but I guess just in my in my gut right now, I I see the Buckeyes winning by something like 10, 12, 13 points. I'm not sure if they get to, to 14.
1: Yeah, I would say it's probably a toss-up cover. I I'm notoriously bad at this, so don't do please do not put any money based on my uh own uh kind of predictions here uh but i i would say that i think the 63 and a half over under is maybe in danger in this game given what we saw from the previous two uh matchups for both of these teams um i don't i i really don't know how i feel exactly about that 14 and a half but i think if you're if you're interested in betting the over there i think that might be possible um even though 63 and a half is a big number for sure but uh yeah, I mean I I oh, goodness. I I just really don't see, I think I, I just just watching what Ohio State did in the third and fourth quarters against Minnesota, I think what well, it was just kind of like, oh yeah. It was like they remembered their Ohio State, right? It was like, oh yeah, like we smash people and we can do it in like second gear the whole time. Like we don't have to overthink this. We don't have to really do anything all that dynamic. We just got to put the playmakers in space, and that's exactly what I would expect them to do this weekend.
0: How about Dewan Jones in his first start at right tackle uh, of the season? Um, and, and one of the first – start? I think he may have started, if I remember correctly, against Michigan State. So it might have been his second career start. Uh, Dewan Jones graded out by PFF College as the highest graded offensive tackle in the country last week. And Thayer Munford, who moved inside to left guard, had a ridiculously good game. The Buckeyes did not allow a sack for the first time since the Michigan game in 2018. They haven't allowed no sacks in back-to-back games, I believe since 2013. They'll be trying to do that against a, a tough defense this week. But, I mean, they basically had no negative plays. And, and on top of the fact they didn't run very many plays in general, it's just an efficient, explosive offensive day. And um, – didn't really matter that CJ Stroud was playing in his, you know, first career start and and didn't really have it in the first half. You'd have told me in the first half that the Buckeyes were going to close that game, averaging more than ten yards per play. I'd have grabbed a big bucket of popcorn at halftime because you just knew what's coming after the first half went. I think we can we can all agree that
1: like the there will be Oregon Ducks in the Ohio State backfield from time to time in this game, it will won't be anywhere near as efficient as Minnesota. Um, I, I, there, there probably will be a handful of negative plays, but, um, you know, I, I just think that that the, this was a team that, you know, was maybe kind of searching for confidence. They found adversity and then they battled through all of that. And that to me spells danger for everyone else in the country, uh, cause I think that's That like to be able to do that in your first game with inexperience, at quarterback, uh, you know, shifting, you know, in the offensive line on defense, you have a new linebacker group back end secondary kind of up in the air and to be able to kind of do what they were able to do on from an intangible standpoint, a psychological standpoint, it bodes well for this team as the season goes along.
0: Well, this has been great and uh, certainly enjoyed diving inside some of these numbers. We do this every Thursday during the football season, getting ready for uh, the game to come. Fridays are more of a uh, preview game, you know, full game preview broadcast, uh, talking about maybe some of the other games in college football that are being played over the course of the weekend. Um, we we typically have some really good stuff for you on on Monday with some analyzing scouting reports and talking about the game from the week prior. Um We have already checked in with uh, on Tuesday this week, had a chance to talk with uh, Oregon Ducks publisher, uh, Max Torres from Ducks Digest. So if you're interested on some more Oregon perspective, you can check that out. We've got a recruiting podcast to drop this week. We got a ton of content for you. We're trying to give you the best we can to cover this Ohio State team thoroughly, ton of work over on Buckeyesnow.com and and on all of our social media platforms. So we certainly hope you'll join us again uh, real soon, including tomorrow morning. It'll be uh, Roughly 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 Central Time, uh, we'll be live streaming talking about the upcoming game uh, as the Buckeyes and the Ducks get ready to open up the 100th season of Ohio State football at the Horseshoe. 132nd season overall, but the 100th season at Ohio Stadium kicks off on Saturday. For Brett Hilbrand, I'm Brendan Gulick. We'll see you tomorrow. Buckeyes and Ducks coming up this weekend.